Hello and welcome to The Third Way. The Third Way is a podcast all about exploring the world of the mind, art, and how people function together. My name is Jess, and I'm the founder and co-host of The Third Way, and I wanted to come to you real quick to give you a little introduction to this episode and clarify a thing or two. Uh, What am I clarifying? You may have come to this episode, whoops, that was my pen. You may have come to this episode thinking that we're going to talk about white supremacy and Christianity because we mentioned in our previous episode that we would. However, um, due to recent events, we decided to change tact a little bit and dedicate this conversation to the topic of colorism. You'll notice that I'm that I'm the only host on today. Uh, Cephas gave me the space today to host this conversation with three incredible black women. We are talking about colorism specifically in the context of uh, black women and in uh, media, but also how it impacts people's lives. And for me, as a biracial, light-skinned woman, it was so important to center the voices of my dark-skinned sisters in this conversation. I'm so grateful that they joined me. I'm so grateful that they uh, shared their experiences. We added some of their handles and things into our show notes, so do please go and follow them, connect with them and support their work and lean into this conversation. If you're a fellow light-skinned person, whether you're biracial or not, if you're a fellow light-skinned person, there might be a few moments where you feel uncomfortable. And that's a good thing because colorism is something we have to tackle if we want to unite against white supremacy, if we want to together dismantle the system of white supremacy and build a better tomorrow. Rachel Ricketts, who is the author of a book called Do Better, which I quote about a billion times in this conversation, uh, makes the statement that uh, unless we recognize the inequitable ways in which we experience oppression, we can't unite against the systems of oppression. So we have to acknowledge and recognize the differences not because anyone's taking away from anything or whatever, but if we don't center those who are most oppressed in the conversation, we're not going to get anywhere. So if you are a fellow biracial light-skinned person, get ready to lean in and learn. If you're white, get ready to lean in and learn. And everybody else, enjoy the conversation. As per usual, please follow and subscribe the Third Way podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you might be listening to our podcast on. And uh, make sure you leave us a review and all of that. Give us a rating on Apple Podcasts because that's how more people get to uh, see the podcast. We don't really, we don't make any money, so we don't really put any money into ads. So you can help us with that. Um, And make sure, like I said, to follow our guests and uh, feel free to follow myself and Cephas on social media and all that good stuff. But now I'm going to stop rambling. And uh, without further ado, hop into the conversation. I really hope you enjoy it and you lean in and you learn as much as I did.
Well, hello and welcome everybody to this episode of the Third Way Podcast. I am so excited to be here with three incredible women today, whom I'm going to introduce very shortly. Um, and we are going to talk about uh, a very, very important topic. Um, and so I'm glad that you're tuning in today. I'm glad that you're taking the time to listen. Uh, and so what we're going to talk about is the topic of colorism. Now, some of you might be listening to this conversation and the term doesn't mean much to you. Uh, if you are that person, you can pause now and Google. <laughs> we are going to remember, I always tell you this, you can educate for free on the old Google. But um, we are, of course, going to give a little bit of context in our conversation. And so when we talk about colorism, we're talking about discrimination against darker and dark skinned people. And what's really important in that is that uh, the dictionary definition that you might find when you Google uh, places the issue on colorism into uh, a specific racial or ethnic groups. And we're going to talk about that more, but we'll challenge that because we, of course, understand that colorism and proximity to whiteness is a thing because of white supremacy. So to blame particular racial and ethnic groups for that is a whole thing that white supremacy does. But you know that already, because uh, we've talked about these things already. So we're going to talk about uh, that in our conversation. And so before we go any further, I want to introduce our guests to you today. Uh, so I have Aisha here with me. Hi, Aisha. Hello. Hello. How are you doing today? I am. I'm good. I'm tired. I'm cold. I want the summer. Mm-hmm. I'm over this. <laughs> listen, listen. So Aish, tell us a little bit about yourself. What do you do? And also, how would you describe yourself? Um, so yeah, my name is Aisha. I am a functioning human being in this very topsy-turvy world that we live in. And I would describe myself as a dark-skinned, highly melanated Ooh. woman. Mm. Yes. I like it. I like it. Uh, and then I am joined by Eunice. Eunice, it's so nice to have you here. How are you doing? Hello, I'm all right. Um, a bit sleepy, but I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that's, like my that's... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's my general. That's my general mode. <laughs> everybody's everybody's responses around that I feel like whoever you talk to so tell us a little bit about yourself what you do and how would you describe yourself um I'm Eunice I do a lot of different things that I love thankfully (laughs) um I suppose I'd describe myself as just black usually to be honest um unless I had to yeah just describe myself as black it doesn't really go beyond that and in an ordinary conversation yep yep Thank you for that. And then last but certainly not least, I'm joined by Fevin. How are you doing, Fevin? Hi, I'm good. Also cold and sleepy. (laughs) General mood. General mood, general mood. So tell us about yourself and and how you would describe yourself. Um, So yeah, born and raised in London, work in PR, but we also make um, candles on the side. Um, Like Eunice, I guess, like I've never really I would consider myself black but I know within that being Eritrean in some circles being Eritrean in the Eritrean community I'm not considered light-skinned but then I know in different circles I am so yeah there's just a lot to unpack there (laughs) 
Maybe to set us up, uh, we'll give a bit of context of how come we're having this conversation now. So if any of you follow uh, my social media um, or just pay attention, really, you will have seen that just about just over a week ago now. And ladies, correct me if I'm wrong. um, You will have seen me post a bit about Candice um, and uh, and Rochelle Humes. And there's been uh, a real controversy going on and actually rather than me explaining this I would love to hear everybody's take here about the situation so in in a nutshell uh, Candice was supposed to um, present a documentary about mortality uh, among black women around pregnancy and giving birth which we know the statistics of those sit uh, depending on when you look at the research, always sit between four and five times higher than white women, which is, of course, shocking. And it's something that Candice has worked on for a very, very long time. And then over the last week, we uh, heard that uh, a woman called Rochelle uh, was actually going to present such a documentary. Fevin, do you want to give us a little bit more context about what happened there? So my understanding is that there were Candice was supposed to do this show and was replaced by Rochelle. Um, Candice then had the producers approaching her saying Mm -hmm. it was two different shows um, and she wasn't in the running and they'd used her for like sort of research. I don't know how much of that I believe when it comes to the producers. I think they're doing damage control. Um, Mm -hmm. That's my personal opinion. But yeah, I don't know if anyone else has any more context to add no that's kind of my understanding of it um and I would be the same as you to think that maybe that's some damage control taking place there because uh yeah it blew up (laughs) it blew up so when you uh research and read a bit about the situation uh both Candice and Rochelle have talked about it somewhat, although Rochelle's statement is, well, we can talk about that later. But basically, the uh, conversation landed on the fact that uh, somehow, apparently, there were two production companies working on a similar documentary. And if you know a little bit about how these things work in film and TV, they would have pitched to a channel and the channel picked the documentary with Rochelle. Now, The thing about that is that there was a lot of conversation that came up around that changing the dynamic and that basically that maybe didn't mean that Candice was replaced because there was a pitch. But of course, we know that there are more layers to this. Fevin, you just wanted to add something to that. Yeah, I just actually just remember something. Apparently, I don't know how true that this is, but the production company that um, is working on the document, the documentary that Rochelle is presenting is owned by a black man. Mm, interesting. Okay. Of course. <laughs> Interesting. So I think in terms of timeline, and then we'll we'll get into this, but I really want to set the scene. Essentially, Candice shared on her uh, Instagram that basically the documentary she had been working on for a few months and she had been in conversations on um, was no longer happening, that the 
that she was replaced by Rochelle. Then, as Fevin said, uh, she was approached by her producers and then basically said, look, all I know is I've worked on this for six months. Now, for those of you listening, uh, Candice is a beautiful, dark-skinned woman who, not just that, is also the most qualified person to talk about this issue. Uh, We're going to put some links in the show notes. She has written articles and books, done talks and research around the topic of mortality of Black women um, in uh, in pregnancy and around giving birth. So she had a lot of qualification around this. And then uh, Rochelle, again, if you look at it, is a mixed race, light-skinned woman uh, who had as far as we are aware, not previously talked about this issue. And so things blew up. What do we mean by things blew up? Because Eunice, this is where we came in, right? We find found ourselves in a conversation last week, which is really why we're having this podcast conversation. What blew up? What was your perception of everything that was going on? Um. Well, it's just this age-old conversation about... Um black dark-skinned women black women being replaced by light-skinned women or mixed-race women um that was it basically um and just all of the um wrongness that comes with Mm -hmm. that really and I think Mm -hmm. for me just putting everything else aside there's going to be lots of nuances and lots of things that we're not aware of and we don't fully know the perspectives of Candice or Rochelle in terms of their identity and how they feel but for me, it just the optics weren't mm-hmm. good, mm-hmm. Um, especially first and foremost, Candice was the most qualified. Mm-hmm. And I think I have, mm-hmm. I'm saying that because it's important that black people aren't just put into positions just because they're black. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. important that people are experts and qualified yeah. for the jobs that they're yeah. doing. Um, yeah. Otherwise, you're dehumanizing them even further yeah. then. Yeah. Um, so she was the most qualified to do that from from our understanding. And then to add insult to injury, you put a light-skinned woman in to do something that there is already a qualified black woman capable of doing and you've already been picking her brain for six months around it. Um, it just doesn't, it's just not good. It's not just good. Not, it's just it's not, not good. No, it's not. How, how did the whole situation make you feel? Um... I can't say that it, you know, it made me incensed because I suppose maybe I'm used to it. It just, it's just another one of those kind of roll of eyes, like, okay, well, right, it's, it's okay, it's happened again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I mean, if I'm honest, yeah. it's not. Yeah. I didn't want to go charging up to, you know, this isn't because it happens all the time. Yeah. <laughs> it happens yeah. all the time. Um, I just felt like oh, this is just tiring, really. Yeah. That's what I think. Yeah. It just becomes tiring. How did it make you feel, Aish, the whole situation? What was your perception of it? How did it make you feel? I think it was very similar to Eunice in the fact that it's another story. Different day, same story. And, yeah, I just, again, it's it's a qualification, Mm -hmm. right? Because you could have had a dark-skinned black woman who knew nothing about it. And then you put her on the face of this new program and she's chatting absolute doo-doo caca, right? <laughs> yeah. And then it makes the demographic of black women look like we're making noise for the sake of making noise, right? Yeah. But the fact is you had someone who was qualified, they happened to be a dark-skinned black woman and you chose a mixed-race woman who 
can maybe get you viewings because of her status in celebrity land and you just disregarded the you disregarded the the brains mm-hmm. I want to say is the word maybe I'm going to yeah. use of somebody else the intelligence mm-hmm. yeah of another woman can I just throw in something there because you touched on the point yeah. And I'm just going to, this is me playing angel's advocate to some degree or just kind of giving some, some other context to it is that TV is TV mm-hmm. and, and sometimes business is just business yeah. and there is no care about who it is or what it is. It's just, I, I, I've got a TV show. Mm. I like the concept, it works, but I need to have ratings. So mm. I think in the conversation, we, we do need to think about that and bear that in mind as well with context, um, not mm. to excuse anything, but that is part of the, that's part of the conversation. But then going back to my other side of the, of, of the, of the coin where I sit, mm-hmm. it then begs the question of what is sellable. Can, can yeah, I yeah. jump in and say, actually on tagging on what you said, it's a thing of like, when, when, when I did see it again, I, I, I am in the industry in which your picks yeah because you're sellable or you're palatable to the audience mm-hmm. to which they wish to reach and the sector in which I work in it is I do see more white people than I do see black people yeah. regardless of your shade it is the people who can afford to buy 50 pounds plus tickets to indulge in the arts mm-hmm. right yeah. and so I understand the 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 possible reasoning for picking Michelle Humes that doesn't surprise mm-hmm. me, but I guess also one of my things is why couldn't they have worked together on this? You know, you have a woman who who is well versed mm-hmm. in this situation, and you have somebody who is who is of mixed heritage who has who has children. I I don't necessarily know if if Michelle has faced any issues when it's come to pregnancy she may have she may have not I don't know but it's a thing of why couldn't these two things worked together you know why couldn't it have been a co-host I don't understand if you need ratings I get that you need ratings or you want ratings that's fine but this is also a sensitive subject about women black women being four to five times more likely dying because nurses and midwives do not believe them (laughs) when it comes to their body. Yeah, so I think what, what we notice with this conversation, right, is that there are, of course, many layers to unpack. And if we look at this one situation in isolation, we can come with come up with all these arguments. And of course, one thing, and I'll, I'll talk to you about that in a minute, Fevin, one thing we noticed is that different people came to take sides in the conversations for right or wrong. But I think at the bottom of the conversation, and especially in this climate that we're in, we have to recognize that the problem beyond the fact that Rochelle is now going to do this documentary, beyond the fact that there are different things that play out, is that it highlighted an issue that is deeply ingrained in our society. And that is the issue, of course, of colorism. It is something that exists. If colorism didn't exist, then no one would have reacted around this the way they had. And so whilst I think, you know, I hear 
hear what you're saying, Yunus, around the, you know, it's TV and there are all these things that play into it. It has now found its way into our conversation because of the climate we're in, because we recognize that if we don't address colorism, we're not really going to be able to address white supremacy and racism. Now, Fevin, I want to ask you, because you're in the spaces where conversations happen, <coughs> clubhouse, um, <laughs> And you have mentioned in our pre-brief that you have noticed a lot of conversations happening where maybe light-skinned women or light-skinned mixed women have reacted to the situation. Can you share a little bit about what you've observed and what you've heard? Um, yes, I've seen like, so in terms of like responses, I think it's just been varying. I think um, there have been brown and dark-skinned women who have just been outraged and said, no, this is wrong. There's been mixed black women and light-skinned women that have just sort of been, well, at least the story's being told. And Rochelle, it's fine for her to tell that story. Um, but I think this also speaks to, like, on the whole, when it comes to media, the erasure of, like, monoracial black women in media. So for decades, we have presented either a mixed-race woman or a light-skinned woman as the only version of blackness. So again, like the girls, I wasn't surprised, but I feel like this time it was just more explicitly done. Just just to pick up on two things you've said there, Fevin. One is that the response that you described is kind of like a big bugbear to me. I always feel like light-skinned and mixed-raced um, black people, that, that's always the response. It's sort of mm -hmm. kind of like tame or nothing at all. <laughs> nothing yeah. said. Tame or nothing is yeah. said. Not everybody, but I think that's just what it it sometimes feels like as as the on the darker end of the spectrum that to my lighter sisters don't always speak up um and I don't know yeah. whether that there might be lots of different reasons that might be like fear of saying the wrong thing or actually feeling um affronted or challenged by some things I don't know but mm -hmm. it does that response that Feven gave um sounds like th th what usually happens all the time really yeah, which is, it's that kind of all lives matter um, energy though isn't it yeah Yes, very interesting. Speak to that a bit more, Fevin, or Eunice, or Aisha, either of you. In terms of how that makes you feel, I think, as well, if you, you know, you notice light-skinned and mixed black people react like that. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Aisha, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw it to you, Aisha, because we, of course, had a little pre-brief um. as well. <laughs> no, and I think you said something really wonderful um, when when I asked you to, to come come and speak to this issue you made the statement that um you know to you mixed race people and light-skinned people are black so to you mm. you know you don't look at us and go oh you you're just half black because you know you kind of made yeah. that statement do you want to speak to that a little bit and then how that feeds into I, this response yeah i i think i think what it is is i've heard I, I understand that there's a difference between black people, whether you're dark skin or light skin, because there's a difference mm -hmm. and being mixed mm -hmm. raced. Yes, you can be mixed race and be of all different tonalities, but you are mm -hmm. mixed. Your racial heritage, your racial background is, is that of something that is mixed. Yeah. I have heard a lot of mixed race people when in said conversations in private spaces say that they weren't accepted by the black people because they weren't black enough and they weren't accepted by white people because they weren't white enough, right? And I guess maybe as me growing up, even in secondary school, yes, there were mixed race people, but when you look at the demographic 
compared to white and black people, there was only a, a handful of them, right? Um, so for me as a black person, as a black woman, because I also want to divide this whole situation that's going on within the the black community is if you come to me as a mixed race person I will accept you as my own right I'm not going to discredit the fact that you are mixed race because you are mixed Mm -hmm. um there will be there will be things that you know that I don't know there will be ways that you act that I don't act and I don't understand Mm -hmm. right I'm I'm never going to deny your heritage I'm never going to deny your background but I'm going to say just come and sit at our table because I can't have you in the middle. It's not your fault. You are the way you are. If it's that you want to hang out with black people, come hang out, eat our food, whatever, <laughs> right? <laughs> but I also, what I also would love for, and I mean, this is a bit a bit off topic, but again, in, in the world in which I operate in, there is this thing of having a quote-unquote black woman in or black women in movies and they're not black (laughs) they're mixed and that's okay saying someone is mixed race is not a dirty word they are allowed to be mixed race they did not choose to be mixed race that's okay but please don't erase and eradicate the black woman by putting the mixed race woman on the forefront because we're not the same. I embrace you. I accept you. Do you know what I mean? Come and sit. I don't want you to be an outsider. I don't want you to think you, you have enough things going on in the world and, oh, how does, you know, one parent has this kind of tradition and the other parent has that. That's you and your household. If you, like I said, if you want to come and sit and joke with me, that is fine. I'm going to not, I don't want you to feel like an outsider, right? Um, but please don't eradicate. Step up and open your mouth and say, do you know what? Yes, I run in black circles and I may be more in touch with my black side than I am with my white side, but I'm not completely black. Therefore, I need to say, to people who are hiring me and to myself, I'm going to step down from this one. Because if you really understood what it was to be a black woman, you would know and have heard stories within our sector to say, wow, that's mad. Mm -hmm. I don't go through Mm -hmm. that. Maybe I've gone through that on some degree, but not like Mm -hmm. that. And I know it's not my place to tell their story. Mm -hmm. Unless all the black women in the world up and poofed and went away, by all means, tell our story because you're the closest one to us who's who's sat down and heard these tales and sat by the fire and sang Kumbaya with that. But we haven't. We're still here. And you're still encroaching on our space. Mm-hmm. It's 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 mind-boggling, it's mind-blowing. It's and then on the other hand, it's well, you know, it's it's nothing new. Mm-hmm. Again. Yeah, Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I just I wish I wish Rochelle had said even if she was like, gutted that she couldn't have been able to host this, mm-hmm. that somebody who even just had more experience mm. on this subject, or or if she said, you know what, I yes, I want to host it, but I want to call someone alongside mm-hmm. alongside me, that's not going to diminish who you are. Mm-hmm. That's not going to take away your followers. Mm-hmm. That's not going to take away your endorsements. Mm-hmm. But 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 why is it you can't, you know? crack open the glass ceiling and pull us up.
I, I, I have a slightly nuanced take on that from you guys. I kind of, if you're mixed race and you want to call yourself black, okay, that's fine. I don't really have a huge problem with that. You're 100% black. You're 100% white. I don't have a problem with that. Um, I don't have a, I kind of don't feel, I don't know how much I care about people being called mixed raced or light skin. What my bugbear and my issue is, um, is people not speaking out about mm-hmm. the issue. That is it for me. Is like the, the like you were saying, Aisha. I would have loved for, and even I don't. I'm, I don't think I'm even necessarily wanting Rochelle to step down because one, Candice. If I was Candice, I'm not going to go and step into Rochelle's shoes after you've given the job to her. I'm not. I'm not <laughs> oh doing it. Sloppy seconds. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> doing it. Um, and also, it, on Rochelle's side, it's a job. That's what she does for a living. Yeah. But. Mm-hmm. What, like you're saying, Aisha, what I would have loved to hear happen was, oh, okay, I don't know, I, I didn't, I didn't know about Candice, or I didn't even know she was an expert in this, and actually, no, I don't know much about this, but I've been working on this for X, and actually, I feel really passionate about this project. All of a sudden, I want to stay on it. However, I recognise the issue that it causes for the fact mm-hmm. that Candice was sidestepped or overlooked because that's the thing I'm gonna that's the thing about and it's making me feel a bit of a way now that's the thing about being black is that not being seen or or acknowledged and nobody acknowledged that there is a problem that it burns Mm -hmm. that you don't acknowledge that there is a problem that you don't acknowledge that actually you are pedestaling light-skinned and mixed-race people above black people and black women it's like if that's not okay it's the acknowledgement mm-hmm. that is is for me a really big issue I think people can identify how they wish to identify I think the issue is when it then translate into when it translates and comes across and has that knock-on effect within media so mm-hmm. now when media portraying black women mm-hmm. we're seeing imagery of mixed women mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. if you're mixed and you identify as black yep okay fine that's absolutely fine I think my issue is when it comes to media you then are just seeing dark-skinned black women being erased because this one version of blackness that's being presented yep. is a mixed race woman or a light-skinned mm-hmm. woman yep. So I think that's probably like the biggest issue for me. Media is always the issue, though, when it comes to colorism. It's always the issue. That's it's always the issue. Yeah. yeah, they they put. And I think just to pick on your point, whenever you see a black couple on TV, it's always a mixed race woman and a black man. That get that's a bugbear for me. It's really like, what is that? Or, but because it's Let's always go there. <laughs> Because it's you're always, going there. Let's go there. Yeah. Yeah. It's all that is always it, and that is the definition of a black couple. It's a yeah. it's a dark skinned black man and a mixed race woman. Yeah. You never or, or, see. Yeah. Sorry, no. I should you gonna no, say no because they or, or lighter skinned like black woman. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. that's it. Or just like we can't exist. No. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Do you know? Sorry, just to just to step on that. Do you know what's funny? I remember being in um in in school, and they were picking partners, and I was one. There was there were two black girls. There was myself and a light skinned girl, and there were maybe three black guys. I can't remember. Anyway, everyone's being partnered up. Um, I'm partnered with the black guy, and the comment was, "We can't put you two together because you won't be seen." Wow. And I thought, I said, huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we aren't mm-hmm. seen when we are partnered together. We aren't mm-hmm. seen. Mm-hmm. We aren't. I know it's like, it's like the irony of that is actually we are not seen. 
There's so much to unpack here. And I want to um, throw in a quote because I'm very aware that there will be uh, light skin that makes people listening. And I'm very aware that you're going to be in all kinds of feelings right now, but I have to uh, challenge you to get over them and listen. And I want to share a quote by Rachel Ricketts, who's like my new favorite person and who just released a book called Do Better, a brilliant book. And she says, unless we acknowledge and address the inequitable experiences between us, we can never unite against white supremacy. I'm going to read it again. So she says, unless we acknowledge and address the inequitable experiences between us, we can never unite against white supremacy. So the context in which she writes it is about non-black pe- um, black people of color and black people. But I think it's very true in the context of colorism. It's very true in the context of we have to acknowledge the inequities between light skinned and mixed race people and dark skinned people so that because one of the arguments I've heard a lot from light skinned and mixed race people is oh but the common enemy is white supremacy like we shouldn't get lost in this conversation because the common enemy is racism but we're saying whilst that might be true we cannot address the issue if we brush over these inequities so let's pick unpick some of these things that you all have just shared. Um, and I want to start with, I think what you just, uh, where you just landed, Eunice, um, the, you know, the whole relationship thing and the whole, you know, you went there. <laughs> you oh, went I'm, there. I'm backtracking on that one, like fast. <laughs> that conversation is just a, a minefield, a minefield. But before you, before we go there though, yeah. I just want to, I'm going to ask you some questions, Jess, if that's all right. What do you identify <laughs> it's up to as? You. It's, it's your, it's your guys. Chat. Yeah. <laughs> what, what do you identify as? Cause we, we've all kind of shared, but we, you're another voice in this conversation. That's important. What do you identify as? Yeah. I identify as black, um, as a light skinned mixed race black woman. Um, I'm very aware that I'm a light skinned black woman, but I identify as black. And I think, that is because of where and how I grew up, um, which is also my sort of experience and my understanding of colorism and where I experienced fragility um, is is kind of linked to that. So I grew up, most of you who, who are listening will know this, but I grew up in Germany. I grew up in a white world, in a white family. And uh, my shade of black was it, like there was no one darker than me because there was no other black people, right? So um, in terms of the way I grew up, in terms of the racism I experienced growing up, in terms of the names I was called, in terms of the exclusion and bullying and all those types of things that I experienced, like I didn't experience preferential treatment because I was light-skinned, because I was just black. But then Jess, don't you think if you were darker, it would have been worse? Maybe. Yeah, might be. I'm not I'm not taking away from that at all. Um, but I, I mean, it's hard for me to imagine because I've not experienced it. And I just know the both physical and verbal violence I did experience. Um, but I think that the reason I'm saying that is because my fragility showed up when I first understood colorism that's where my fragility showed up. Like my fragility and my defensive response was, oh, but like, 
I've experienced all this racism. Do you know what I mean? And I had to learn and unlearn. I think, Fevin, you were saying this earlier, um, and it's so true. As light-skinned people and mixed-race people, we have to unlearn and learn some of these things because I had to learn about the reality of the society we live in. I had to learn about the way in which proximity to whiteness plays out and how, by being light-skinned and mixed-race, I have privileges and I have to take responsibility over them. But yeah, sorry, that was a long answer to identify how I identify. <laughs> I don't know if that answers the question. Mm. No, it does. And I think I asked that because we don't have these conversations often. I think mm-hmm. like we don't have these conversations. Your, your friend is your friend, your sister is your sister, and you just kind of roll. That's it. And you're all yeah. black girls together. Do you know what? But sometimes yeah, yeah. we don't we I I think sometimes I might not have had the confidence to ask a mixed race friend how what is your experience of being mixed race because I can imagine that has its challenges also um kind of navigating between the fact that actually one of my 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 parents is white and the other one is black um yeah so yeah so it's just it's it's good to hear and understand I think there's something important to be said as well about the difference of experience in different countries. Um, so I think there's a there's a different there's a different understanding and experience of mixed race here in the UK than there is in America, than there is in other places in the diaspora in Europe. Um, that again, that difference of experience, and I want to be really clear, that difference of experience doesn't take away from the issue of colorism and light skin privilege. Like that's not what I'm saying. That's not why I'm saying difference in experience, because um, I know that can be weaponized. Um, but the in the UK, for example, if we look at the history, um, and, and I think Eunice and I talked about this uh, in uh, in our chat last week, there's a whole, you know, there's a there, there was a whole um, in, inquiry and research program into the problem of hybrid children, like that. So the conversation around that has been dealt with very differently. Um, and then I think as well, and I, we talked about this, Eunice, that there's a whole thing of, and Fevin brought this up as well. There's a whole thing of. Uh, who you're raised by, how you're raised, your features. There are people of my skin tone who have way more European features and there are people who are dark. Do you know what I mean? Um, But yeah, Fevin, you were going to say something. Yeah, like I do think like when it comes to colorism, it is kind of, it can, for some of us, it's relative. So I know within the Eritrean community, for example, I'm not considered light skin, I'm considered brown skin. However, I know in a different circle, in different spaces, I might be, I I will, I could be considered the lightest person in the room and compared to someone of a darker hue, they may consider me light skin in that particular space. Um, But just sort of going even back to like Candice, for example, in her response, I feel like her response even showed colorism in a way too, because she, I can imagine, obviously I'm not speaking for her, but I can imagine she was quite like really dip- not diplomatic, but like just kind of like it is what it is kind of thing. If she had gone harder and she's entitled to go harder, it would have brought out, oh, she's bullying or aggressive. And it would have been that whole thing of sort of a darker skin woman coming after a mixed race woman who the mixed race woman is, um, can, you know, we all feel shouldn't have taken the job. But Candace would have been portrayed as the one in the wrong. Um, so even in even when a dark skin woman has been wronged, she can't even speak how she wants to speak and 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 how she feels because society is going to sort of put a label on her. And I think again, it just it's like putting light skin and mixed feelings above the feelings of a dark skin woman yet again. And, and it just infuriates me. 
And I think Eunice, you made a good point in our in our conversation um, last week, and it's definitely a point that that made me feel something in my gut, and I had to sit with it in a second, but I also had to wholeheartedly agree with it. And you said, you know, when we were talking about what does uh, allyship from light skinned people look like, etc., and like light skinned people's response, you said, well, Jess, ask yourself what what are you asking of white people. And how are you challenging white people? Because in the space of relative privilege, if I am the one who has the light skin privilege, I have the responsibility. And and that, I'm not going to lie, like that didn't feel nice. <laughs> like, I there goes, didn't there there goes go, those mixed race feelings, I'm joking. <laughs> no, but it's, it's real. It's real. I think this is what we need to talk about because people think that have feeling discomfort is a problem in that. No, it's that's a natural reaction. And I have I have to sit with my discomfort and I can't ask white people to and I know that in the training I do, I will often talk about the necessity to build res, build resilience within yourself because A, you're gonna get it wrong, and B, you're gonna get it wrong, and C you're gonna get it wrong. <laughs> and you're gonna do racist shit and you're gonna and you're going to have to then sit in your discomfort and be told and do better. And so how can I ask that of white people and not be okay to hear that as a light-skinned person? We have to build resilience into ourselves and um, and, and, and do better. So I, I love that you challenged me in that way and that you said that. I don't know if you were aware that you did, but you did. <laughs> I was because I, you asked me the question about what can I do as a lighter skinned yeah, black yeah. woman what can I do and I was thinking about the whole concept of allyship etc and I mm-hmm. said and, and I was trying to contextualize how uh, contextualize the question and I was actually like actually in this within this context of our box you are the privileged one here or yeah. supposedly privileged let's say because that's yeah. an outside thing that's yeah, been reflected yeah, yeah. onto us um you're yeah. the supposedly privileged one here so for you to understand how you behave, you need to think about how you would like white people to behave yeah. who are meant to be allies to all black people. So yeah, mm-hmm. that's just what how it came to mind, really. Yeah, um, yeah. And and I think it's it's so important because it you know the fragility part is what you know Fevin when she was talking about what she heard on you know Clubhouse or whatever. That's what we see show up, and I think that's why these conversations. I'm so grateful that you are having this conversation with me. I want to, if that's okay, obviously if anyone else wants to jump on this, we we can, but I kind of want to move the conversation back again a little bit from talking about light-skinned and mixed-race people. (laughs) Um, But I actually come back to, if you would be willing to share um, some ways in which colorism um, have showed up, whether it's in your life or in the world around you. Because I think the other thing, this the point that you just made, Fevin, with Candice having to respond in a particular way, I think sometimes these things, we hear them as like this, oh, this is a sort of a concept or something. Um, but actually we're talking about people and people's experiences and how this injustice and this system of oppression is um, is actually harming people. So if you're willing, and I don't want to, you know, 
go too far in any kind of way. And I don't want to, um, you know, obviously only want to go as far as you're comfortable to share, but if you're willing, would you share some ways in which colorism has shown up for you and, and how that, what you have to grapple with in that maybe Aisha, would you be willing to share around that? Um, I can't think of anything where I have done something per se, or maybe the same thing as somebody else has done, um, that isn't of my complexion or isn't of my background as a black woman that has been quote unquote acceptable for them to do, but not acceptable for me to do. Um, I do sometimes it's sometimes it's a feeling that I can't put words to. I just know that I'm not allowed to do X and I'm not allowed to say Y and I'm not allowed to feel Z, right? And I know I have to hold myself in a way that I'm always seen as being respected or respectable. Now I know I'm a little crazy and ratchet at times, <laughs> but that's because I'm just fun and I'm loving and I'm free spirited, right? But I give respect and I expect respect. I know I don't hold myself in certain sectors as someone who is frivolous, as someone who is a troublemaker or someone who always wants to cause someone's feathers to ruffle. So when I do feel a certain way, and I do really want to project how I'm feeling, I do feel like there is a unseen silence, an unseen muzzle that is put on me that stops me from using my voice or expressing myself in the way I want to. Um, actually coming to my head now are things, for example, when I was with um, a previous partner of mine and I maybe it's my upbringing I, I don't know but questions would be asked to me and I would just say oh yeah just that one and it was you're given attitude and I have to sit there and think oh I wasn't given attitude you asked me a question I just gave you a direct answer now I know the sector that in which this person worked in and this person would get cussed out right left right and center and so I don't understand how someone calling you an F-bomb or, or whatever, or a C-bomb or whatever, is acceptable or fine for you to digest because they are a white male. But a black female who says, oh, yeah, no, just put that there, mm -hmm. is somehow giving you attitude. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. I can't speak frankly. I have to always watch my tone, my tonality, the way in which my sentence and my words are shaped and framed so that I don't, you know, offend you. Mm -hmm. And that is frustrating. Yeah. The fact that I can't just talk, that comes back to something that I remember seeing the other day. And again, I couldn't put words to it until I actually saw it was, uh, I can't quite remember the word. It's it's something coding like changing the way you speak around certain people code switching code switching yeah. that's the one yeah and i didn't realize i mean i know i did it we all have our telephone yeah. voice right <laughs> our white voice but yeah <laughs> but code switching even in my feelings mm, feeling switching wow. tone switching yeah, yeah, yeah. just to make sure i didn't step on someone else's toes because i know that if i do there's going to be a problem and i actually remember being in a situation between a black girl and a white girl. 
and the black woman, the women actually, sorry, the black woman was asserting herself and she knew what she was saying was correct, right? She knew what she was saying was the truth. She was questioning things that, that needed to be questioned because the maths wasn't mathing, right? And the white woman, knowing that something went awry, instead of just to say, hey, y'all, hands up, that was my fault, that was my bad, I didn't quite tie up these loose ends, and therefore, this is why this has happened, the black woman would have said, you know what, it's cool, things happen, right, thank you for being honest with me, was so riled up, and didn't want to accept the fact <laughs> that they were wrong, started shouting, was stood shouting this is the white over woman. this black woman, yeah. now this black this is a white woman. The black woman had not raised her voice once. She had maybe been very clear, very direct in what she was saying, very crisp in her wording. And it was the black woman who people were telling to calm down. Now, I was in the room. I had to shut my mouth because I thought, you know what? I can't add fire to the feel to the fire as much as I want to say, babe, it's not you. But unfortunately, it's you who's going to have to walk away from the situation. It's you who's going to have to, they go low, I go higher. Right? And I, I, I hate that. Yeah. Yeah. It's frustrating. And it's the thing that Candice had to do. She had to say, I'll have to take the high road. Sometimes I want to dig up the dirt, dig up the soil and get you six feet under. <laughs> like, I don't care. But I can't mm. do that. I have to nicely crumble the soil on top of it. Yeah on top of the casket that you've opened. I wish you could all see... Yeah, I wish you could all see Fevin and Eunice's face as Aisha is sharing. <laughs> I don't know if I want to cry because I'm angry. I don't know if I want to cry because I want to laugh. I write, like, my eyes are actually water. I'm literally looking to the ceiling because I'm incensed <laughs> by that story. And I know that story. And do you know what the other flip side of that as you were talking is that the equally, <laughs> as a black woman, um, you can't seem to be fragile and soft either like you can't you can't you can't and we don't do, mm -hmm. apparently we don't do that <laughs> we don't do that either so who am I so where am I like what who like uh, 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 I'm stuck with literally between a hard and the soft place as to if I'm showing some level of emotion I'm overly assertive if I but then I can't be soft because you don't it doesn't fit you if I am being soft or or gentle um, you don't know how to relate to me in that, in that, like, it's just hard work. It's hard. But Eunice, that's why I don't subscribe to this sort of strong black women, woman um, thing. I'm I, No, I'm not strong. There are moments I might be weak. There are moments I might cry. I am not, um, I'm not, um, like black girl magic. Sometimes I might be mediocre. I might wake up tomorrow and just be like average. I might be amazing the following day, but you know, that's just the kind of like ebb and flow of how I move. And what I realize is I think when it comes to sort of work and how you present yourself, it is always tone policing. It always, it is always being mindful of how you write an email, how you speak. Also never like it's tears, isn't it? So like I, for example, I've never cried at work because that is just not what I do. However, what I've realized is when I am upset, because they are not used to seeing us get upset and emotional, they don't know how to handle it when we're wronged and we're emotional because they're not used to us being presented. And again, goes back to that whole 
be a strong black woman. No, you do not have to be a strong black woman. You're entitled to feel however you want to feel, whatever day, however you feel today when you wake up, that's how you're going to feel for the rest of the day. It's okay. It's okay not to be strong. And you know, on top of that, Fevin, that's just what I am no longer calling myself a black queen. I'm a black princess. I will throw a hissy fit <laughs> like a princess if yeah. I want to. I will throw my toys out of the pram Amen. if I want to. I will scream and kick if I want to. If I want my pillows on my bed, that's what I will get. If I want breakfast in bed, I'm going to act like a princess yeah, yeah. because I'm tired. Yeah, yeah. Why am I carrying the whole also, kingdom? I don't but also, Aisha, I don't subscribe to this whole, oh, my black king, my black queens. No, no. Today, <laughs> I'm just feathered. I'm just me. Just like, I'm average today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Let me throw in that with that. I think I see that I see the rationale and the logic behind um, speaking speaking who we are because nobody else mm-hmm. does. So I think that's mm-hmm. the, that behind that is the is the is the affirmation self affirmation that we need to give each other and ourselves personally. Yeah. I think yeah. so. I, I see it from that perspective. Um, I, I don't really use that in my language usually, but I mm. but I do. I do like empowering language and empowering, and I love being black. I'm not going to lie about it. I really, really enjoy being a black woman. I really enjoy being a black Nigerian woman. I love it. I do. Yeah. Um, so, so, and that, and that's not just because of the color of my skin. There's so many things culturally that I'm just yeah. like, oh my gosh, wow, yes, <laughs> honestly. So, um, so I get it, but I, yeah, but I do feel like there is room to. I'm all right if you, I'm wearing my head wrap here, and I'm like, I need to wash my hair. I'm not always fabulous looking. In fact, most of the time, I'm not. So. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think we need that space as well. I think what you're touching on there is so important because there's there's kind of two things I want to pull out. The one thing is that the experience that you shared, Asha, and what you observed and Eunice, like your your reaction to that, this is so important. We need people to hear this because whether we like it or not, and sorry, let me add to that, light-skinned women listening, I know you're sitting there thinking, I know the feeling, but you don't because the reality is for us, we, with a lighter shade, we will get a different response. And this is how colorism plays out. The, the darker the hue, the more hostile the response. So I'm just, let me just clarify that there. But also there is something to be said for, I know sometimes people, and, and obviously everyone has the right to navigate this how they want to, but sometimes people say, I don't want to have to prove my humanity. And I get that. But from a systemic big picture societal perspective the reality is whether people accept it or acknowledge it or not black people and specifically dark-skinned black people are being dehumanized at a much higher level into every whichever direction you want to look at at it and so I love Aisha what you just said about like I'm, I'm the princess like I'm just going to be who I am because actually I'm human <laughs> you know and and so thank you but like all of you for sharing those experiences because I think we need to challenge these conversations because whilst we can call ourselves and I agree with you Eunice in terms of affirming language and all of that what white supremacy does is it takes any concept of monolith and puts it over all of us and then expects things of us and specifically and again the range the darker the more accepts things that are not human that are not possible you can't always be that Ah. queen you can't always be that and then they'll go well then you're the criminal do you know what i mean and white supremacy does that and i think part of our liberation journey is 
to actually embrace the humanity and and go, yes, I want to speak affirming language and whatever, but actually I'm human and I'm not going to let white supremacy put me in any any of these boxes. And the other thing I wanted to add to just from a sort of um, research perspective, and I shared this with Eunice, all these experiences that people are sharing, there's actually a... Um, uh, term around it, which is called the minority stress model. And the thing is, when you hear people, and for those of you listening, when you hear people share these stories, you have to remember that these are consistently perpetuated messages, right? Day in, day out. And they mean that people can't be their full selves. And the minority stress model speaks to the fact that there are actually mental and physical things that that have an impact on how our body responds to different things. Like it's actually a physical consequence that can come from experiencing these types of racism and discrimination on a regular basis. So thank you for sharing that in this context. Fevin, how do you, have you experienced colorism in your, in your work, in your life? Have there been any instances um, where you experienced it and, and would you be willing to share? I think for me, like looking back, the, probably the first time I can remember I, um, is dating a guy who would tell me, um, I'm not that dark. I'm, I'm a couple of shades darker than Beyonce, but I'm not that dark. And he would compare me to, um, I know, yeah, but I was okay because I wasn't as dark as, I'm not going to say the singer's name, but I wasn't as dark as this black British UK singer. But I was okay because I felt within that sort of, bracket of just a couple of shades darker but not that dark and I he was mixed race actually and I just thought oh I need to get out of here like I this is not for me this is not the guy I want to date um yeah so I do remember that but I also even like looking back even as a kid I remember like both my grandmas were dark skinned and I just remember going to Eritrea and being told oh don't sit in the sun too long because you're going to get darker don't um put Vaseline or Nivea on your face and then go out in the sun. But looking back, I guess, throughout the years, um, I realized that was just a symptom of their lived experience, how they felt. And that wasn't a, like, that was just a cause of colorism. Um, and I remember doing my dissertation on how black women are portrayed within media. And I remember reading a book at the time called The Color Complex. And just, we're just proper like unpacking and, and learning. And I think that for me just made me I don't know, just open my eyes a bit um, and call it out when I see it. Um, yeah, thank you for sharing that. We'll come back to the guy, but I want to hear Eunice first. Um, I want to hear if you're willing to share any experiences of colorism that you can remember that you'd be willing to share. I mean, n nothing personal in my mind, um, but Frevin's just made me think about... Um, I went to going to Nigeria a couple of years ago and not that I don't know that this happens. I think I was sharing this with you, but mm. not that I don't, I don't know that this happens, but walking into a chemist and there being from top to toe, two walls full of bleaching cream and just being upset, I suppose. Mm. And not, not shocked because I know, but it's just like, really, really, mm. really, is this still happening? Really? Really, it's a billion dollar industry. It's, oh, and it's just devastating. It's devastating mm -hmm. um, to think that people would just want to like poison their skin for this for the to to get rid of their color. 
Um, and I, t- I remember sit- standing there just videoing it, um, literally top to toe um, of bleaching cream of all different types and brands. And yeah, mm-hmm. it, that, that, yeah, it's, it, it upset. Yeah. It, yeah, it's upsetting. And it's just, what do you do? Yeah. It just goes back to mindset, I think, isn't yeah. it? It's just, this is all about mindset. Um, and again, why it's important, I think, for us to affirm one another um, and encourage each other and allow us mm. a, and in support each other and seeing our beauty, um, letting that lead. Um, yeah. Because we've been so, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know, is it socialised or conditioned yeah. into thinking that we're not beautiful? And I think that's, mm-hmm. that's for me, a big thing. Um, for a lot of people, you have there's so many layers as a human. You've got your insecurities you have to deal with as mm-hmm. a woman. Oh my gosh, as a woman, there's so much and so mm-hmm. many things about your body or the general. Then on top of that, you want to layer my skin color as well. Mm-hmm. It, there's mm-hmm. just a lot. So yeah, I think affirming one another and understanding and seeing beauty in each other is really important to me. Can I can I add something? Um... I think it's maybe more of an open-ended question. I don't know if I have the answer to this. I don't think I have the answer to this. But Eunice touched on the fact that going back to Nigeria, there was basically a wall dedicated to bleaching, right? And I know there are light skin and mixed face people listening to this conversation right now. Maybe you're still in your feelings. <laughs> sorry about it. <laughs> Not sorry. Um, but I just... <laughs> but I just want to pose maybe a question or an open-ended statement. I don't, I don't know. But the fact that people are willing to bleach their skin to somehow have the opportunity to be as fair, as light, as close to mixed in their complexion as they can be, does that not show that, okay, yes, you you go through a struggle, but that they will do anything to escape the struggle of their darkened skin. I just, it really hit me when Eunice was talking about it because it's, it's almost that thing of saying, I don't mind having a struggle as long as it's not as, as long as the struggle isn't this dark. Wow. The irony of it is that white people and a lot of mixed race people try and tan. <laughs> I know, right? I mean, don't get it wrong. I go in the sun. I'm looking. I'm like, I'm tasty. I can see my veins. They're green. I <laughs> when I come up from holiday, everybody knows. They're like, oh my God, you can tan. I said, oh my God, you're an idiot. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but I hate that. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think that's really a, an, a statement that I hope every light skinned and mixed race person and light mixed race person listening, uh, we would go away and sit with that. Um, because I think the audacity, um, that some of my fellow light skinned and mixed race people, and I used to, um, have to question whether colorism is as bad a thing or, like it, just get over yourself do you know what i mean like we just we just really need to get over ourselves and recognize that so thank you for for sharing that statement so clearly 
I do want to open one more box. We almost opened it earlier. Then we kind of got away from it again. But then Fevin just shared a story. And so I feel like we have to go there. If you all saw Eunice right now, she's like hiding her face and is like saying, let's not go there. But I just, I just have to, Eunice. And you don't have to say anything about it if you don't want to. I can, I can go to Aisha and Fevin if you don't want to. <laughs> but, but so there's been a couple of instances now where we touched on this thing of dark skinned black men with lighter skinned women. Um, and then obviously the, the thing that Fevin just shared about her experience. And again, I want to preface, preface, preface this, um, to all my lights can folk listening that you've got a question you've got to ask yourself, because I had to ask myself, what does it bring up for you when you see a black man with a white woman? Just going to put that out here and then I'm going to come back to this conversation people talk about preference, right? Is that real? But do you not think having a preference is prejudice? So if a guy's preference is only light-skinned women, to me that screams your prejudice against darker-skinned women. I think everyone has a prejudice. I can't say this word. Prejudice. Everyone has a pre- prejudice. I don't know why I, I have can't words say like it. That. I can't think while speaking English or something. It's more Englishing. I think every <laughs> Yeah, it's not English in. English is an English in, mate. Um, <laughs> I think everybody has preferences, right? And again, it's, this is not to erase the preference of who you date, why you date, who you date. Um, everyone everyone has pre- prejudices. Um, <laughs> That's so cute. Prejudices. I think... <laughs> I think there are... I think there are things and there are circumstances and times and places in our lives in which certain people are drawn to others. And it's not, it's come about not always from a, from a positive standpoint. I will say that there has been a time in space and possibly still now no in fact definitely still now in which the black woman is not deemed beautiful Mm -hmm. because she is portrayed in a way that is less than others everybody has many people have access to netflix amazon whatever some kind of streaming device Mm -hmm. and i i i want to challenge everyone who is listening Number one, the next time you watch your favourite show, please count how many black people there are in that show. Number two, if there are black people in that show, what is their status? Number three, what is the status of the dark-skinned black woman? Mm-hmm. And then tell me why women, dark-skinned women, black women are saying that they are less desirable or thinking that they are less desirable within society you will see where our status where our status has been portrayed within the 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 media's eye and why that then is now a factor you also i would like you to watch your next favorite show and say what is the status of the white person in that show 
what is the status of the white woman in that show and how does the white woman in that show handle herself? Does she get away with blue murder? Does she get to choose whoever she wants to be with? Does she get to choose the narrative of her own story? I'm not going to answer for it. I want you, that's your homework, Mm -hmm. whoever's listening, if you wish to accept the challenge, Mm -hmm. right? And so I think there was a time and place where black women, if they were seen on screen or if we even made it onto the pages of a book, we were made fun of because of our features, our big nose, our big lips. We were called blick in school. We, our hair was nappy. We weren't desirable. And then the media portrayed what was desirable and that was not us. Whoever you, whoever you can picture in your mind as being desirable, it was, it was not mm-hmm. us. And for the black man, I can't speak solely for the black man. Um, so, but I will, I will say what I think. If I'm wrong, please forgive me. There, they also have their own hurdles to overcome but if I can be with someone who is seeing as desirable maybe just maybe that will get me in the room Mm -hmm. maybe just maybe I will be respected more not a whole lot not as my white counterpart but maybe if I go in and show my beautiful stunning wife who is not black who does not have kinky nappy curly hair but whose tresses flow in the wind naturally it's not sewn on or glued on maybe someone might say you did well good job on picking that life partner maybe and I think that has trickled down through society and it's not to say there aren't beautiful black couples out there I know some being here on this planet for 29 years. Yes, I said some. That is a handful of black couples who have been influential in my life. Some, some, some. And so, and then you have on the flip side, the white woman whose preference is the black man. Right. Because then the black man would always take off his top and show his beautiful abs. And fetch, again, another word I cannot fetishize. say. Fetish Fe- Yep, that's the one. Um, because he is strong, right? But he still can't really write his own narrative. And he might get in trouble. God forbid he even looks in a white woman's direction, no matter his age. And then it was, oh, he's a bad boy. I want a bad boy. I might have a bit of him. Now, if you like black folk, you like black folk at the end of the day. For me personally, whatever colour creed shade you are, if you think I'm hot, uh, okay, cool. Wine and dine me. Let's see what you got. Let me see what you're working with. Let me see your character, blah, blah, blah. I don't have a preference. As long as you're a man who can fulfil and satisfy my needs and desires, come my way, honey child. But, but there are things at play that have played on people's preferences in quotation marks. 
they uh, that and that's all I, I actually I don't need to add anything else all you said and all you said is correct as but the end of the bit at the end for me is the is the is the cream at the point for me is that there are things at play I think in this conversation about preferences we never take into effect the context in which we're talking about there are things at play Let's just admit mm-hmm. there are things at play. There are mm-hmm. con- there's conditioning that's happened to all of us in one way, shape, or form that is at mm-hmm. play. So saying, "Oh no, that's not. That's just my preference." Yeah, it is your preference, but also let's not take away from the fact that there's conditioning. We've all been mm-hmm. conditioned. We've all been nurtured in different mm-hmm. way. Um, that's just it. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's the way it's where you were brought up. It's the friends you had. It's your own. Um, personal uh, aspirations and role models you've seen there's lots of stuff that's influenced our preferences let's not take away from that um mm-hmm. le- yeah let's just not take that out of the conversation that actually we've been conditioned in one way shape or another and actually maybe you do like this person because y- it makes you feel better about your blackness in one way shape or form mm-hmm. and that can be either a dark-skinned person going out with a lighter-skinned person because it, you know, it makes them feel more acceptable, or it can be a light-skinned person choose purposely choosing a dark-skinned person because it makes them feel more acceptable because that happens mm-hmm. too. But mm-hmm. I think it's just again for me, it just comes down to let's acknowledge what's going on. Let's mm-hmm. just acknowledge what's going on. We live in a we live in a context that is mm-hmm. has has and is influencing us. And let's acknowledge that. Let's not just do the defensive thing. Um, yeah. And I would push it further, and I know you tend to not go there, but I will push it there. I think it's beyond acknowledging. It's to taking responsibility and become people who are self-aware and self-reflected. Because, and this is the, maybe this is the activist in me speaking, I don't know. But the thing is, we're only going to see change if people start doing that work internally, right? And whilst there is so much work that white folks need to do. We've now established there's so much work that light skin and mixed race people need to do. I think the unlearning of the stories we've been told is something we all have to do because I I know, for example, like this, this is why I brought the preference thing up because I know I would have said, I would have had a preference at a time in my life that was not a preference. That was social conditioning. That was adding, you know, the social conditioning plus one or two bad experiences that then because of the way black people are put in one box, affirmed the social conditioning. And I had to like, you can actually unlearn it. So I don't know, Fevin, what do you think? I just I do think though having a preference is problematic and I think when a woman has a preference versus when a man has a preference there's a difference because just by the very nature they are a man and and the society we live in um it, you know there's like like you said there's conditioning patriarchy like also patriarchy like there's so many different elements to the nuances and elements to the conversation but even when you look in popular culture and you see rappers and football players and the type of women that they tend to go for, I refuse to accept that as a preference. Like, I don't know what anyone else thinks. That's not a preference. You were, it's not that you, you know, it, it's becoming intentional. You've intentionally gone out and got a light, you know, the further up you get up the career ladder or progress or become famous or a football player. I can't, I'm not really into football, but I can't 
remember the last time I saw a black football player with a dark skinned uh, woman. If anyone I don't right? If you're listening, do not send us the one or two options because this is beside the point. <laughs> I w- I'd like to see as well, but they tend to be mixed, light-skinned or racially ambiguous. Do you know what I'm going to add to that though about the preference and something you said, Jess, is that you kind of have to know that you have to take responsibility to take responsibility. That's why yeah. I. That's why I'm saying I'm not offend. I'm not against people taking responsibility, but sometimes, again, back to your conditioning and your uh, your upbringing things. And this is not an excuse in any way. But there are a lot of people that just are oblivious, yeah. oblivious, just don't know, just do, does not cross their mind. They don't think about these things. They're just. Mm-hmm see what they see and that's it they don't they, mm-hmm. there's not a self-awareness and there's not a there's no influences around them to prod them or to prompt them to be self-aware mm-hmm. so I, I don't mm-hmm. know what we do in that situation but I yeah just felt like I needed to raise that yeah. actually unfortunately there's oh, some people sure. who yeah just will never get there because there isn't anything around them or that they they just don't have it in them but then can I can I rebuttal on that though yeah please doesn't doesn't that same go for like white people who might live in the middle of England and are like, oh, I don't need to know about racism because I kind of live in this circle. Like, is there any excuse in 2021? I don't know. Just I'm just throwing it out there. Like, I don't think it's an excuse. It's the it's just, again, acknowledging that there are people like that and they will never change. But, That's it. But, it's not an excuse. But that person, that white person in middle England who says that, oh, well, I don't really know, blah, 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 blah what am I going to do for you? There's nothing, what am I going to do for you? You are not going to change, possibly. Change the education system. (laughs) But if, okay, so then if black men are perpetuating colorism, how are we expected to be in a community with those colorists? Because I'm not in a community with those colorist men. I'm in a community with black women. It's important to also acknowledge that not all black men are like that equally or have a preference towards lighter skinned women. Um, Mm -hmm. I think we have to acknowledge that as well because yeah. I have lots of conversations where about in, in I've had conversations with male friends they're like no but I really love black women like I, all I date is black women so I don't understand and then that's when it's I don't understand what you're talking about that you know black women are not seen as desirable that they just can't get their heads around it equally I think um I wonder whether to to your question Fevin and that the whole thing in like in 2021 is there an excuse and all of that I think there are probably two sides that I would say to white people, for example, right? I can speak speak from that perspective. And I'm glad you said you drew that analogy and not me. <laughs> but um, I I think the the reality is that n- not everybody will ever get on the journey, right? Regardless of what we're talking about now, whether we're talking about colorism or we're talking about racism, whichever one, and they feed each other, so whatever. But I think there are so this is where the layers come in right like these conversations are so important because the hope would be that someone would listen to this who maybe has been oblivious like whether you're listening and you're white or you're light-skinned or you're dark-skinned maybe hopefully something in this conversation will have nudged you to go maybe there's something i need to think about okay but then i do also think there are systemic things that 
would have to start being at play from media representation, from education, from like all those layers in order for those who are oblivious and who live in an, we all live in an ecosystem as well, who are in their ecosystem to actually be nudged out of that. So I don't know how we do that, but it, like, I think that those two things have to come together because otherwise, like the white person in Middle England, it's not, it, they're not going to start thinking about it, whether we think that's right or not. Yeah, I hear that, Jess. And I also think as much as, you know, there are systemic things as well, I do think if we really want to eradicate colorism within our community, those conversations need to start at home. Mm -hmm. They need to be happening at home. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you can have all the representation you want on TV and in media. Mm -hmm. But if you are, you know, if you're raising a black child who might be uh, black or mixed race, who might be of a lighter complexion that goes around and then bullies a darker skinned child, it's just going to sort of continue Mm -hmm. the cycle and keep feeding it. And if you have kids, um, if you plan on having kids, it's important that you have these conversations at home. Mm -hmm. And really, and I think for you to get to that point, it's really looking at, do you know what, there are things I've done in the past that perhaps probably wasn't the best thing to do, probably wasn't the best thing to say. Um, And unless we're all doing that on unlearning and educating ourselves, what are we hoping for the like generations to come? Because otherwise... It just continues. It will continue and just live. It's deep rooted within our community and society. And if we don't speak on it, if we don't educate ourselves, if we're not teaching our children right is right and wrong is wrong, it's not going to die. It's going to continue. Really, 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 really good point, Seven. Really strong point. Yeah, fully. Thanks. No, this is wonderful. And I think um, I want to share another quote from Rachel Ricketts in this context, um, where just sort of as we come to a close, and I do want to give an opportunity to just give give some actionables right for whomever you choose to give actionables to i don't know Fevin can give them to colorist men i don't know <laughs> Eunice can give them to me no but um and i sh- i should we'll just replay your monologue no you can keep saying things but um there, there are two quotes that i want to read and then just get all of your thoughts on those last couple of bits and then and then we'll come to a close Again, Rachel Ricketts, Do Better. No, I'm not getting commissioned, but everybody needs to read that book. Um, And she says, naming the oppression you cause is critical, but it uh, it does not actually eliminate that oppression. So she says, naming the oppression you cause is critical, but it does not actually eliminate that oppression. And then she continues a little bit further on to say, the issue is that they, quote unquote, they don't want to have to change or give up their power and privilege. And that, my friends, means they frankly don't give a damn. Not really. If you care, like really and truly care, you act, you change behaviors, you do what is necessary to get shit done. Now, I know that those two quotes are probably said primarily in the context of white people but I actually think they apply in this conversation as well. Any final thoughts around these quotes, around these thoughts? I think they are 
very poignant <laughs> um, things to say. Very true, not bad triggering, but exposing of, of, of people to really sit down and think about what is it that I can actually change? Mm-hmm. What is it that I can actually bring to light? What is it that I can bring to the awareness of to other people around me and to myself in certain situations? Who can I actually stand up for? Mm-hmm. Where can I sit on the metaphorical bus <laughs> mm-hmm. that will cause a disturbance, mm-hmm. you know? Um, who can I protect? Mm-hmm. And I, and I think it's something that's really hard as human beings because a lot of us are getting to certain situations where we're looking out for ourselves and there is a lack of empathy mm-hmm. there. And I think that we we can't live that way anymore because the core is rotting and it's starting to smell really, really bad. And there's only so long you can go um, ousting the stench. Mm -hmm. And there's only so long you can go before you begin to rot. Mm -hmm. So I think if we in this community are wanting to see a thriving community, we have to put our sides, but me, but me, but me, mm-hmm. and say, and and admit, yeah, this happened. Mm-hmm. And it's not to say we're not here to listen to your stories or here to say something that happened to me at work, something happens to me in the street. Oh my gosh, it's awful. Mm-hmm. We care. That's where the empathy comes in. Mm-hmm. What can we do? What can I do to help you? But what can you do to help me? Mm-hmm. Because every time this story keeps coming out, this narrative keeps coming out, you don't want to sit back and say, damn, oh, ouch, that kind of hurt. But damn, they've got a point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> how, how, how do I stand alongside you and say, we're in this together? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's what I, I think that's what I have to say. Thank you. Eunice? I think what stands out from that for me is um, action is caring. That's what stood Mm -hmm. out from what was said. Action is caring. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think from what Aisha said, the word that that comes to me and that was resonating in what you were saying and in the quote is community. That's what Mm -hmm. we're trying to be. And that's what we're trying to create. And community does involve acting and empathy and community isn't one person it's it's a group of people mm-hmm. and we have to acknowledge that we are a group of people that are that are relational and we depend on each other there's a lot of individualism in our society which I don't think is always helpful um and there's a lot of self the word of self used in our society which again I don't think is very helpful because we weren't created like that we were created mm-hmm. to be in community mm-hmm. um so I think just remembering that, um, yeah, what as Aisha said, what someone does to you will eventually hurt me, um, and so we, we we need to we need to support each other as much as we can and, and see each other. 
think is important and listen um again just kind of reflecting on other similar conversations um it's saying you know having your point of view but listening and acknowledging that person's hurt I think is really important um acknowledging that person's hurt um and perspective as well Mm -hmm. I think is important so yeah Mm -hmm. really what I took away from that (laughs) could I add to that real quick sorry before you speak for Um, especially if you're someone who in the black community is portraying themselves as black or calling themselves black, do better. Mm-hmm. You have to see to the blackest of the blackest and to the lightest of the blackest and say, do I stand on this whole spectrum? Because you can't, I, 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 I can't, I can't digest the fact that you would call yourself black, but still say, what about me? and disregard the black person at the back. That can't happen. Aisha's yeah. delivering sermon after sermon today, boy. boy. <laughs> I could just listen to you all day. Goals. Yeah, mic drop. Goals. <laughs> Fevin, what comes up for you in those quotes? Firstly, read up on colorism. I mean, the first book I read was The Color Complex, and that was super insightful. It spoke about it from a very US centric point of view, but it, you know, it it spoke about things like the paper bag test, the comb test and sororities and things like that. Another book that's been brought to my attention recently um, on the infamous clubhouse (laughs) is um, (laughs) colorism (laughs) investigating a global phenomenon. So that's kind of on my list of books to read. Mm -hmm. I'd say once you've read it and you've done that on learning, um, acknowledge your privilege. So Mm -hmm. Even though I might have exp- I've experienced colorism, I know that it is not- my experience is nothing to compare or does not even hold like an inch to what a darker skinned woman has experienced. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not, comp- it's not, I can't compare it. And when a dark skinned woman is talking about it, I just tend to just sit and listen because I know that the, the privilege I have and what that's afforded me. Mm-hmm. And so once you've read it, um, come to terms with, you know, how you can, I hate the word, how you can be a better ally. I think when you see colorism at play, call it out. So if you mm-hmm. hear men saying they've got, they've got a preference for light skin, mixed or racially ambiguous women, and they're demonizing like coilier hair or gaslighting, mocking or silencing darker women, call it out. Don't just sit there mm-hmm. um, and sort of be, you know, a pick me and not say anything. Um, don't support problematic black men that are colorists, whether they're mm-hmm. famous or not. Just don't. Why are you? Why are we supporting these men that? Um, <laughs> I should make you laugh. Sorry. <laughs> why are we supporting these men that exhibit colorist behavior? Um, and I think, last but not least, when dark skinned sisters are talking about their experience of racism colorism listen don't come in there with this sort of oh i've experienced it too and i've lived my experience as a black woman because quite frankly it's not cutting it anymore so Mm -hmm. being lighter by default means you don't have experience you don't have the worst of the worst experience when it comes to colorism or even racism so sit with that realize that unlearn it and just kind of let that marinate you know and and so on and then also be prepared to give up your privilege for good so like amplify darker skin sisters if you've got a platform like Aisha was saying and you identify as black there are times where you need to pass that mic on amplify darker skin black women mm-hmm. uh, center their voices and stop centering yours and just sort of that I feel like that's the only way we're going to get there and if you've got kids speak to them teach mm-hmm. them because if we're going to sort of progress um 
throughout life and generations to come if we if we keep feeding colorism it's never going to die yeah yeah can i just add on that if you're white and you've got mixed race kids please put them around some black people do you really want to start should we go there to the end (laughs) let's just leave it there that's part two that's part two because (laughs) my gosh (laughs) i need champagne now So I want to thank you all so much for being a part of this conversation. I honestly am so, so grateful you took the time. Thank you for sharing your experiences. Um, I know that's not always easy. So thank you so much. Um, Thank you for being patient with me um, in this conversation as well. And yeah, everybody listening, I just uh, hope that you listened intently. I hope that you go back and listen again. I hope that you share this conversation with people who need to hear it. And let's go and do better. We need you to educate yourself. Fevin is just giving me like a whole like, don't forget to tell them to educate themselves. <laughs> you I can read. just interrupt me, Fevin. We're still recording. There's no hierarchy. You tell me. <laughs> I was just say, don't forget to read. Yes, 100%. So we're going to put some comments in the show notes. Uh, we're going to add links to both the books Fevin mentioned, which is, of course, The Color Complex. And I think it was The History of Colorism that you mentioned. But we're going to find those books. We're going to add them to the show notes. Uh, of course, I quote it from Do Better 20 times. So <laughs> we're also going to add a link to that book. Um and practice observation, become the person that notices their uh, conditioning and their all the things and start doing better so that we can live in a world that's better for all of us, for everybody, because none of us are free until we're all free. Thanks for listening, everybody. so much for listening to this episode I really hope you learned something and hope that together we can lean in and listen learn unlearn a few things and do better in the future really encourage you to check out our show notes because we've added a heap of links and tags to things we referenced throughout the conversation and as always don't forget to subscribe and follow the third way podcast on spotify apple podcasts and wherever else you might be listening from rate and leave us a review so more people can hear about the uh, podcast and of course also follow us on all the old socials uh, at the third way podcast on instagram at the third way pod on twitter i'm at just Mally and um everybody else is in the show notes so thank you again so much for listening and see you in about a month's time with our third episode talk to you later <laughs>